0: For your awards consideration, Max presents House of the Dragon. Set 200 years before the events of Game of Thrones, the reign of House Targaryen begins in the HBO original series starring Patty Considine, Matt Smith, Olivia Cooke, Rhys Ifans, and Emma Darcy. Don't miss the series critics are calling a roaring success. House of the Dragon is now streaming on Max. On this episode of Crew Call, we're speaking with Deborah Chow, the executive producer and director of Disney Plus's Obi-Wan Kenobi. Welcome, Deborah. Hi. Landing the job of directing all six, tell me about how that came to be. Because typically with the Star Wars series, like for example, you directed a couple of episodes of Mandalorian, they varied up their directors. But to get the entire series... Especially something like this. Wow.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I had just finished Mandalorian, so I, you know, and I'd been with them for a fairly significant time on that show. Um, and then what had happened is the project had been in development for a number of years and it had gone through numerous iterations. So it had started as a feature. Um, and then it had already tr- it had already become a limited series by the time I became involved. So it was already sort of set up, and actually there was a director that was already planning to do the whole thing. Um, so I ended up inheriting it and taking it over, but we, it was always conceived of as sort of being one big story. So I think it, it obviously made sense to have one director kind of take it
0: all the way through. Were you privy to that, which was supposed to be in the movie? Do do you know, can, are you able to share with us, oh, this segment of the show was, was originally meant to be in the movie?
1: Um, To tell you the truth, there had been, you know, fairly considerable development. uh, So before me, so I knew kind of some of the things that had happened, but I I wasn't really familiar with everything that had been done and how it had sort of trickled down. So I think some of the big ideas that it obviously, you know, the idea that he'd be, he'd be taking care of one of the kids, and then um, the character of Reva, Moses Ingram's character, um, she had; she was there, b- sort of, before as well. So there were some, I think, some big pieces that were in place, but
0: truthfully, I couldn't say exactly where they came from. So going back, this is a very daunting test to take on. You know, th- this this series stands apart in the fact that it's it's really part of canon, like it's mm-hmm. it's connected to the movies versus Mandalorian, which is. A little bit a little bit connected to the films, but weaves into the Filoni universe versus, versus Andor. Going back and mapping this out, what did you take in regards to inspiration from the original George Lucas prequels? And what did you feel that you could make your own?
1: Um, that was by far the biggest challenge is that, you know, obviously we're telling a story with incredibly iconic characters. that's in between two George Lucas trilogies, uh, you know, and everybody knows what happened to these characters before and after. Um, so that obviously was our biggest issue uh, just in trying to figure out how to tell this story. Um, so I think the, the first and foremost thing we did is we're really coming out of Revenge of the Sith. So that's the movie that really we looked at the most closely um, because we knew it was going to be sort of a character journey for, for Obi-Wan. And everything that kind of happens during Order 66 for almost every single character that we were working with, uh, that was sort of the pivotal moment that ended up sort of changing their lives. So we really kind of used that as our starting place because, uh, you know, we're looking at Obi-Wan going, okay, where would he be 10 years later emotionally? And so much of it all connects back to what happened with Anakin and what happened at the end of Revenge of the Sith. So that was for sure our, our most significant touchstone.
0: But visually speaking, you've done some great things here, like, um, you know, like when when we first think we see pre a uh, 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 small, you know, tiny Princess Leah and she's getting dressed and it winds up being someone else. There are things that are very much onto the series. And then even as when the camera pulls back and we're we're watching her run through the woods, um, it's it's, you know. There, there are shots that look like it's definitely a, connected to to the George Lucas prequels, but yet it's its own. Where did you, where did you feel like you could, you had leeway? Um, that
1: was, you know, that was something that we were really aiming to do is to try to, obviously, make sure that it felt part of the canon. Because I think if we'd done something that was way too modern or, or way too stylized you know, it's not going to feel right, especially given the fact that it's in the middle. Um, So, you know, we wanted to keep the continuity where, you know, especially places like the Lars Farm, things you've seen before, they need to look and feel, you know, like, like we've been there before. So that was something that was important. But at the same time, we were trying to give it, give the series its own voice and have its own identity. Um, So it was really kind of just finding a balance between that, I think. For us, like anything that was canon, like things that, you know, obviously the twins or anything connected to Obi-Wan or characters, you know, these big characters like Vader and Anakin. um, We were trying to be very respectful and make sure that it it did feel sort of like a continuity of what George had given us. um, And then try to push it a little bit in other places where we could with other characters.
0: Did he ever show up on set?
1: He didn't, but also we had to we had to shoot during COVID, so nobody showed up on set.
0: <laughs> Where did you yes. shoot?
1: Um, we ended up shooting in in Los Angeles, and actually we're right across in the stages from Mandalorian. Um, but you know that was definitely a very big curveball, um, you know, because we had originally been planning on shooting in London, uh, and then COVID ha- happened, and so that's how we ended up here. So it really changed the trajectory of the show because. Um, all of a sudden it became a stagecraft-based show, whereas it hadn't been when we were going to shoot in London. And, uh, you know, I'm sure, you know, you've heard so many productions of how how that was to go through. But for us, obviously, with kids and everything on set, you know, we started shooting before there was a vaccine. So it was was pretty intense.
0: Oh, wow. Now, did you shoot on location anywhere?
1: Um, Within Los Angeles we did, but we couldn't go very far. You know what I mean? But this was also a period where you really couldn't travel
0: now as far as prep goes this entire this entire season how long from prep to post
1: uh it's that is it's a little difficult honestly because covid paused us in the middle here so it's it's extremely it's quite long i was on the project for almost 3 years some total um so you know it was a significant period of time um covid obviously did sort of pause that for a bit there Prep was, it was an interesting prep for us because we had to do most of it remotely. Uh, So I've never had to do that, you know? And, you know, so it was constantly, and I actually ended up being in Toronto during a lot of the prep. And I kept thinking we were coming back, but we weren't allowed to sort of be in person for so long. So I've never done anything like that where we literally, some of the keys, my creative keys, I didn't even meet in person until a couple of weeks before we started shooting.
0: For your awards consideration, Max presents House of the Dragon. Set 200 years before the events of Game of Thrones, the reign of House Targaryen begins in the HBO original series starring Patty Considine, Matt Smith, Olivia Cooke, Ree Siphons, and Emma Darcy. Don't miss the series critics are calling a roaring success. House of the Dragon is now streaming on Max. Now have you selected an episode to submit for Emmys?
1: Um we're going to go with the final one.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Tell me, tell me tell me why. What what do you love about that?
1: Um you know, the final one for me, it's the culmination of all the characters and all the storylines and it's everything we were building to. Um so you know, I think for me the heart of the show is always going to be the scene between uh you know, and uh, Hayden and, and Ewan with the cracked mask. And it's really, that was sort of everything that the show was building to. Um, so that scene was very emotional, I think, for all of us to shoot. And it it it's just so meaningful, I think, in, in terms of the, what the show was trying to do. Uh, and then there's also so many sort of lovely character moments. I really love the stuff with Leia, just sort of coming to culmination and sort of trying to do the handoff to A New Hope and, and all the characters kind of getting to the end of their journey.
0: Now, was there, is there an opportunity to do a second season or no, this is, this is it?
1: Um, this was always conceived of as a limited. Uh, and I'm sure you can tell from the story that it it is closed. Like we did obviously seek to tell one big story. Um, who knows there's 10 more years, obviously before a new hope starts. So you can never say never, but for this particular, it really was conceived to be a, a limited.
0: Tell me about getting Hayden and Ewan back into character. Uh, let's start with Ewan. Let's start with him. I mean, you know, you could say, "Oh, it's easy to do an impersonation of of Obi-Wan Kenobi." But still, he he's been away from it for a while. How did he how did you get him back into character?
1: Um, I didn't have to do much, honestly. <laughs> we did our very first hair and makeup test and I remember I think we were reading him against another actor and I remember it was the very first time, you know, he put on the robes and they weren't even the real thing and it was just kind of like a quick version of it. And he walked out and he just was the character again. Like, you know, for me, I think there's some roles when an actor and a role really just kind of, you know, they line up really well. And it was it was kind of amazing. Like I know he, you know, he obviously had to find it a little bit with the accent and kind of getting back into it, but he, he really just kind of embodies it. So frankly, he walked onto set and everybody was just like, Oh my God, <laughs> it's everyone Kenobi again. Uh, you know, and I'm sure on his side, he had to do more, but really for us, it felt like it um, with Hayden, you know, it was different. And I think what was really interesting with this show for both of them is that, you know, we're not telling, we're telling a story about their characters at a different point in their lives So they're not trying to redo a character they did 20 years ago. They're trying to evolve that character and go, you know, where is this character now? Um, So he's not playing kind of the version that he was playing in Revenge of the Sith. And I think that was something that was pretty exciting for all of us is to get to explore these characters at a different point. Um, So for him, you know, it's obviously a bigger challenge because, you know, we're in between Vader and is there any Anakin in there still and trying to find that that sort of bridge that takes you through and I think that was what was really fascinating about, for me, what he did, particularly in that crack mask scene, is that, you know, you're feeling Vader, but you're feeling Anakin driving it underneath. And I think we were really trying to have those two characters to to sort of bring those two identities together in almost one.
0: So given the whole COVID of it all, what what indeed was one of the most challenging sequences to shoot?
1: Ah, I mean, there's a number. Anything, honestly, with background was always stressful, um, you know, because also we had little layer running around and it was impossible to keep her still. So, um, you know, it's it's tricky. So I think anything that sort of had large groups of people um, was quite stressful. And I think, you know, obviously, a lot of the production stuff, there's stuff we would have loved to have done that we couldn't because of some of the regulations. But um, generally speaking, I think we were quite lucky we didn't get shut down. Um You know, we didn't have any, you know, people did get it, but there was, there was nothing that was like negative or hugely significant. So we were pretty fortunate, but, um, I think it's just kind of creates a bit of a stressful environment to go through.
0: I mean, now it's, it's eased up significantly. Like they don't, am I correct? They, there's no longer the insular ABC bubbles and whatnot.
1: I believe so. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure exactly where they're at right now, but, um, yeah, we had the pods on set and, you know, no, people couldn't. At the beginning, we were trying not to eat lunch, so nobody was mixing up. And like, so yeah, it was it was quite strict at the beginning. And then we, fortunately, though, the vaccines did come once, you know, once we were a little bit into shooting. Uh, and then it was always kind of that rollout of who was able to get it. So then it got a little
0: easier. So in regards to the crowd scenes, you know, we were reporting on something before just as the pandemic started, you know, like we were of course writing a piece about, well, what's going to happen to extras and is this the end of extras, et cetera, et cetera. And, but there's forever been a replication technology where you take five people, dress them up 10 different ways and then multiply them in a VFX. Did a lot of that go on?
1: No, we didn't actually. And I think it's also partially because obviously Star Wars, the the galaxy is so bespoke um, and everybody's so individual. Like it's not kind of generic people. Like, so you've got creatures and, you know, so we, re- we really didn't do that. Uh, we were, we did shoot when we were doing sort of the town stuff or doing Anchorhead head or whatnot. When we were on the back lot, you know, obviously they're out in the open air. So that was a lot easier, but the volume when we we're doing the stagecraft stuff, that was a little bit trickier.
0: You know, I was speaking with Rick, um, earlier today about Mandalorian and again and again and again I'm just mystified at how you guys pull this off to me it always looks like you're shooting on location in the desert in Jordan uh you know <laughs> you're shooting in Hawaii or at Lake Powell I mean this is all this is all green screen this is all uh-
1: It's a mixture, but when we're doing stagecraft, it's, you know, obviously we're shooting in camera, so it's not green screen. So we're actually really, truly shooting it in the camera. Um, So it's something that I obviously I I was fortunate enough to be there with Rick right at the advent when Mandalorian started in in season one. Um, And it was interesting to do it on Obi-Wan because, you know, it was three years or two or three years later. And even then the technology had moved ahead, but it's a completely different pipeline. So it's nothing like I'd ever done before in any other television show where, you know, we're pre you know, I prevised the entire episode on Mandalorian and on Obi-Wan, I pre anything that was, you know, action or sort of a significant section of it. So you're doing huge amounts of pre and then you're doing this huge pipeline, um, you know, where we're in 3d looking, flying around the sets and then we're modeling them with, off of the concept art from Doug Chang, and then we're taking it into, you know, 3D modeling, then the virtual art department, then we're lighting it with the DP. So it's a pretty intense process, actually, to get it on the screens. And then the actors, they just... The actors love it. Like, one of the most significant things, I think, for Ewan and Hayden, which they they talk about frequently, is that when they did the prequels, you know, and George back then was pushing the technology so much, um but you know in large part it was green screen you know it was a lot of green screen and tennis balls uh and so I remember doing a scene and we were doing like a flashback to the night of order 66 in the temple and you know we had like this row of uh, clone troopers come out and Hayden had never seen one in person um uh, because it had all been dig- digital when they did it so I think for the actors I think that's one of the biggest benefits of stagecraft is that they get to—they're f- really in the set, and they really feel it, and you know they're not just looking at imaginary things. So for them, I think having done the prequels, it was such a relief to actually have some, you know, real tangible things to look at.
0: What is next for you, Deborah?
1: Um, I'm developing a bunch of things, and I'm trying to figure that out. Uh, you know, we'll see how long the strike lasts. <laughs> it could be a vacation for a while, apparently. But um, yeah, I'm working on a number of things.
0: Deborah Chow. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call Podcast on Deadline. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.